This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 301, submission number 246, Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller aired on NBC from August 23, 1990 to August 11, 1991 for 13 episodes. And before we play the theme music, I just want to apologize in advance. Hit it, Mike! Ferris Bueller! TV show intro, stop yelling at me. In 1986, John Hughes released his, what is, I guess you could call it his magnum opus in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's exactly the term I'd use to describe it. Yep. It made the careers of Alan Ruck, Mia Sarah, Jennifer Gray, Edie McClurg, Ben Stein, and of course, Matthew Broderick. But more than that, John Hughes called it his love letter to the city of Chicago. It had heart, it had jokes, and it is generally recognized as one of the best comedies to ever come out of the 80s. Oh, notice that we didn't say it made the career of Mr. Black. And no, we're not talking about the talk show host Mr. Black or the former occupant of the White House Mr. Black. Or the black... Mr. Black. Take a guess who we're talking about. Who else was in the movie that we haven't mentioned? Hmm. We we did talk about him a a number of months ago. We did. I'm talking about the... Mr. Black. Who was in The People Next Door. (laughs) Who did you think I was talking about, Greg? I knew you were talking about that, but I was like, oh, that's a deep cut from that one episode. Yeah, I think, was that the famous Teddy Z, possibly? Yes, the famous Teddy Z. Yeah. Fast forward four years, and not much thought is given to making this epic movie a TV show. Enter John Macius. You know who John Macius is. He was one of the creators of the incredibly ingenious scene elsewhere. He also created Touch by an Angel, Providence, and Hawthorne. But he got the idea to develop Ferris Bueller for a television series. And it seems like 
upon watching a few episodes, you would get the idea that he basically took one look at what passed for Wikipedia in 1990 and didn't do much else. Nope! Did you do much else, Mr. Testa? Nope. <laughs> because it did retain some of the quirkiness of the movie, and it did retain some of the characters of the movie, but in the first five minutes of the pilot, you could definitely tell this was not going to be the movie. And that's probably why it failed in the first place. Everybody loved the movie. Everybody almost universally hated the TV show. So who was in the TV show? Well, it wasn't Matthew Broderick, Alan Ruck, Mia Sarah, Jennifer Grey, Edie McClurg, Ben Stein, or... Mr. Black. Nope. They had, playing the role of Ferris Bueller, Charlie Schlatter doing his best Jersey Boys. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Which makes sense because Charlie Schlatter is a Jersey Boy. Yeah. Eaglewood, born and raised. A little fact here. Did you know that he was originally cast as the role of Philip J. Fry in Futurama? I did not know that. No. I I, I I promised Greg before the show I would give him a mind-boggling little fact. There it is for you, Greg. Oh, neat. But yeah, he's done a lot of voice work. Yep, most he, notably as The Flash in Justice League Action. Yes. And also he did the uh, voice of Howard Stark in Avengers Assemble. And of course, recently, he's played out uh, the role of Paul Michaels on the Apple TV Plus show for All Mankind. But where I know him best from is... He was in the movie 18 again with George Burns in 1988. Okay, I remember that, yeah. I remember that. That was a good movie. Oh, hold on, guys. Charlie was also in an episode in 1994 of Silk Stockings. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. The episode where there's a will. Do I really want to know if he was the piece of man ass for that week? <clears throat> oh, jeez. Probably not. I, I don't want... I'm, I'm withdrawing the question before I even start hunting. And I don't know what he would have been doing in 2000 to warrant a spot on Hollywood Squares, but, oh wait, he was in Diagnosis Murder. That would do it. Yes! Diagnosis Murder. All 137 episodes of that. All the old people, they love their diagnosis murder. Dick Van Dyke made that show. Did it make his career? No, Mary Poppins <laughs> made his career, silly. Oh, okay. I just wanted to check because yeah, I, 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 I thought maybe some self-named TV show might have made his career, but no, Mary Poppins mm, did. Maybe, right. yeah. It's like he is, yeah. Dick Van Dyke was known for Mary Poppins and nothing else. Okay. And Diagnosis Murder. That's the list. That's it. That's the list. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the role of his best friend Cameron Fry is Brandon Douglas, who would best be known, I guess, 
playing a role as Benegretti in one season of Falcon Crest. But more likely as Dr. Andrew Cook in 38 episodes of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Oh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. He would have also have been in future entry Class of 96. Yes, Class of 96. Remember when Fox tried to do a really deep college show? I'll say it again. Nobody can do a college TV show. Now, playing Sloan Peterson, who in the movie was already dating Ferris Bueller and was just the uh, troublemaker he is, but sort of toned down for the TV show as sort of the object of Ferris's desire, the lovely and talented Amy Dolenz, who very much went against type. Amy Dolenz is a trained dancer, among other things. Sloan Peterson has two left feet. Well, we did talk about her in the past because she did uh, make an appearance on Saved by the Bell, the college years. But also, look at that last name, Dolenz. You know who her dad is. Uh, her dad's a monkey. Her dad's a monkey. In fact, in the trades, she was called the monkey baby. Yeah, her dad was Mickey Dolenz, in case you yes. don't know. Yeah, yeah. Playing the role of Ed Rooney, thank God it isn't Mr. Black. But it's Richard Real. And if my memory serves me correctly, he played a character in Office Space, didn't he? Yes, he was. He was the he was boss Tom in Office Space. He was in Office Space. He was the boss in Office Space. Yes. And amazingly enough, still active to this day. Well, he wasn't that old when he portrayed uh, uh, Ed Rooney on this. He was only like 42. So he's only about 74 now, give or take. So he's holding up very well for 74, it looks like. Yep. And of course, if you are a fan of The Legend of Korra, he portrayed the voice of Boomy. Oh, neat! Jeez, kids, shouldn't you be in bed? And then we have the role of his secretary, Grace, played by the vivacious Edie McClurg in the movie, in the TV series played by Judith Kahn, who is not as vivacious as Edie McClurg, and the character isn't as vivacious as Edie McClurg in the movie. That's the first time I've ever heard the terms Edie McClurg and Vivacious in the same sentence. Edie McClurg is a Vivacious lady. And as we mentioned last week, we're going to talk about Edie McClurg uh, when we talk about the after uh, school special about Jackie Robinson. That's right. Which also had Ann Ramsey in it as a nurse. Oh, by the way, she played on the first season of Valerie, back before Valerie quit to, uh, due to a, uh... A contract dispute or, Thanks, or something Greg. with the executive producer. It was either Miller or Boyette, one of those two. Yeah, she, I think she was the wacky neighbor before Edie McClurg was, because wow, she played wow. a character named Annie Steck. Wow! That is amazing! That's like some Lincoln-Kennedy crap. Because you know how Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy, and Kennedy, and Kennedy had, a... had a secretary named Lincoln? Yeah. 
I'm playing the parents who, in the TV series, are named Bill and Barbara, are Sam Freed. He was the narrator in our cartoon president. Oh, the Stephen Colbert animated series about Mr. Black. That would be the one. Oh, not the Mr. Black. Black we've referred to already on this show. The original political Mr. Black. Yeah. The political Mr. Black, who by the time you listen to this, now or in the future, may or may not be seeing the Fed soon. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, uh, our cartoon president was on Showtime. Yep, and playing the role of Barbara, who was renamed from the original Katie, is Christine Rose, who I know Greg remembers her. She is Ted Mosby's mother from How I Met Your Mother. Yes! Who may or may not have slept with Barney. Who may or may not have slept with Barney. And remember... She divorced Michael Gross. Yep. Because remember, Michael Gross played Ted Mosby's dad on How I Met Your Mother. That, and those, th- are, those are some amazing genetics in that family. Michael Gross is the father. Christine Rose is the mother. Aaron Cahill is the daughter. And how did Josh Ratner get in this family again? How did those genetics produce Josh Radner? We may never know. Not to mention the uh, the grandchildren, Petty and Luke. Petty played by... Uh... Lindsay Fonseca. Thank you. And Luke played by David Henry. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. This isn't Who Do You Think You Are television edition. And then there's Jeannie Bueller, who was a senior in the TV show, whereas in the movie she was a junior. Justice Barris was a junior in the TV show and a senior in the movie. Jeannie is played by Jennifer Aniston. And folks, we're not even going to play with you. You all know who Jennifer Aniston is, okay? She's, She's... Doing well for herself. She's doing well for herself. Uh, yeah, I actually did some research for this episode on a, a YouTube video. I forgot who posted it, but it was a really good YouTube video. She's like, Jennifer Aniston, who is known for horrible bosses and nothing else. No, no, no. This is the second reference to Office Space. She was in Office Space. Yes, she, she was. was. Yeah, she was in Office Space with Richard Real, and she's not known for anything else. She's known for all that flair she had on her uh, her uh, waitress uniform. Hold on, guys. There's a fact about Jennifer Aniston that you may not know. Okay? Now, you all know her dad was on Days of Our Lives, right? Her dad was on Days of Our Lives, yes. Yeah, I think we talked about John that, Aniston. Yes. yes. But yeah. do you know who Jennifer Aniston's godfather is uh, or was? I do, but only okay. because I've done the research. Okay, hold on. Mike, do you want to take a guess? I'll play along. Let's see uh, where this goes. Okay, what's your guess? I have no guess. Let, let, okay. Just spoil it. Spoil it. All right, here we go. Chico, say it. Tully Savalas was Jennifer Aniston's godfather. What? Yes! You mean the star of Tully Who Loves You, Baby? Yep. She, was her, she was her 
Hey, 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 Mike. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Telly Savalas, I guess you could say, was her first friend. But you know what that also means? Jennifer Aniston's godfather was a Bond villain. Because he was blow-founded on Her Majesty's Secret Service. This just keeps getting better and better. And those are the principles. Of course, there will be many sort of appearances, cameos, in-jokes, all that sort of weird stuff that happens in the movie, except it's on the TV show. And it went from incredibly weird to unbelievably surreal. Take, for example, in the pilot episode, Alan Rachins appears as himself negotiating the terms of Ferris's detention. Alan Rachins from L.A. Law is negotiating the terms of Ferris Bueller's detention? Yeah. And we'll talk about it, oh, now's as good a time as any. The first day of Ferris Bueller's junior year begins at Ocean Bay High School. Oh, something you have to understand before we continue. Yes, this show is set in L.A. It's not set in Chicago. Yeah, that's probably the biggest f*** to John Hughes as far as producing this show goes. The first day of Ferris Bueller's junior year begins at Ocean Bay High School. He has some old issues to deal with, such as his arch-nemesis principal, Rudy. That will have to wait as he has the new issue of a beautiful transfer student named Sloan. Now, again, things you have to understand. Sloan was already Ferris's girlfriend in the movie, which is set in Chicago. But this episode pretty much sets the tone for all subsequent episodes in which it seems like Every episode sees Ferris Bueller taking a day off. He wakes up, gets ready for school, leaves school. His sister Jeannie's giving him the business. She's determined to expose Ferris to her parents as the ne'er-do-well he actually is. But he goes to school. He meets up with Cameron. And he devises some way, some incredibly fantastic way, short of hacking into the school's mainframe and changing his schedule to get to know Sloan Peterson. And ultimately, they steal Jeannie's Toyota convertible, go to the beach, and sort of kind of get to know each other. Jeannie sees that her car is missing and reports it's stolen. By the end of the episode, Jeannie has her car back, but it's still reported as stolen. So wait, do people think that Jeannie stole her own car? People think that Jeannie stole her own car. Why? Because, I don't know. But anyway, I told you about Alan Rachins negotiating the terms for Ferris's detention. Again, everybody thinks he's Douglas Brackman. No, it's Alan Rachins. Douglas Brackman is a character he plays on television. And an interesting credit here, uh, it was directed by Jonathan Lynn, who did the Clue movie, if I'm not mistaken. 
Oh, yes. Based on Chico's description, this sounds like if you asked for Ferris Bueller, you're getting the Wish version of Ferris Bueller. You've got it set in Los Angeles instead of Chicago. You've got not even the right car was stolen. I mean, it was the uh, what was the expensive car that was stolen in the movie? Oh, wasn't it the uh, Lamborghini or, or something well, like that? It right, it's an expensive car. It, it was Cameron's dad's car. Right, right, right. It sounds like this is like the the the. Oh well, we'll get you Ferris Bueller, and you get some sort of knockoff version of Ferris Bueller. This is bad. Yeah, um, this version of Ferris actually addresses it in the opening. Life is one damn thing after another. Mark Twain said that after he changed his name. I'm Ferris Bueller, and I've never changed mine. Once they put me up on the big screen, it was out of the question. But come on. Matthew Broderick as me? No way. He's too white bread. Too, too dimensional. Too, too tootsie. Goodbye. This is television. This is real. Mom, Dad, does he have to make a racket while I'm curling my lashes? That's my sister Jeannie, overreacting. Thinks I get away with murder. Who's kidding who? She has a car and a nose job. Hurry up, slugger, your breakfast is getting cold. Dad, believe the world would be a better place if everybody started the day with a tummy full of oatmeal. It's ten after. Mom, loves me like a rock, but worries that I don't get enough sleep. I'm 16 years old, and my life consists of two states of consciousness, un and sub. Don't get me wrong. High school is important. It's the only way to keep track of friends, especially my best buddy Cameron, who is the hypochondria. Well, even the computer can't get the bugs out. But then there's snow. Ocean Park High's newest transfer. We're about to fall in love. Now all we have to do is meet. Ferris, it's 11 after. Gotta go. Hey, make yourself comfortable. Mi casa es su casa. And when you leave, turn out the lights. Mom gets torqued about utility bills. And please, don't touch that stereo. Eight hours later. That was Ferris Bueller taking a chainsaw to a cardboard cutout of Matthew Broderick. Dang. That's all I got. Dang. Dang, indeed. One person of note that I want to mention before we move on to episode two, playing... An uncredited role as a locker girl is Kira Reed, who is a name that's important to me because she was an actress on a lot of Skinamax movies back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So you know what that means. What the hell is that? That's eugenics. Sorry, I'm still 45 points away from my monitor going off. Sorry, I'm still thinking about Amy Dolan's. What? She's cute. Leave me alone. Episode 2. 
behind every dirtbag. Oh, it's class election time, and Ferris is looking to run for student body president. Because of course he is. Principal Rudy Hand picks a candidate for student body president and explicitly prohibits Ferris from running. Uh-oh. 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 So what's Ferris Bueller to do? The next best thing. He prepares his own candidate. He grooms a guy named Shred who dislikes Principal Rudy as much as he does. Playing the role of Shred is Matthew Walker, who was in Halloween 5. But he does play Raymond Lafitte in five episodes of future entry Super Carrier. What is Super Carrier? It's basically a drama set aboard a Navy carrier that was created by actual Navy officers with a really good Bill Conti theme music. But aside from that, the only real name of note appears in the cold open with archival footage of Barbara Bush giving a commencement address in which she quotes Ferris Bueller saying, Life moves at you fast. You don't stop and enjoy it for a while. You might miss it. To which our Dollar General Ferris here says, I don't remember saying that. Man, if this was a video podcast, we'd insert Yankees thumbs down guy here. One note that was not brought up in the taping is episode 2 along with episode 11 were both directed by David Banner himself, Mr. Bill Bixby. And again, if this was a video podcast, you would see Greg doing the pose flexing the Hulk did in the return of the Incredible Hulk. Episode 3, Custodian of the People. Ferris and Sloan have hit a bump in the road in their new relationship. Ferris makes the mistake of being unsupportive of Sloan's ambition of becoming a dancer. Because back in, se- in episode one, she said she's going to transfer to a performing arts school. Never mind that while Amy Dolan is a trained dancer, Sloan Peterson has two left feet. Ferris is also at odds again with Principal Rooney as he convinces Lou, the new janitor, to impersonate the new dean of students a former Marine drill sergeant. Did you see who played that janitor Lou? Yes. Dennis Lipscomb. We didn't talk about him that long ago. And hey, it's another reference to the famous Teddy Z. He was Harlan Kivo. Yes, he was. But hold on. Here's another connection with Matthew Broderick to tie it in. He was Watson in War Games. So you yeah. probably looked at Charlie Schlatter and said, I know Matthew Broderick. I'm friends with Matthew Broderick. You, sir, are no Matthew Broderick. Well, it would have been timely, too, considering what Lloyd Benson's comment to Dan Quayle was, what, two years prior to this? Exactly. Episode four. Without you, I'm nothing. Cameron feels trapped in Ferris's shadow. Ferris attempts to help his friend by suggesting to him that he should do something that he will be remembered for. Cameron takes his advice by pulling a dangerous stunt. Is the dangerous stunt going on going places? (laughs) I see what you did there. I got a name for this episode. 
Okay. He plays just a generic character that's a dork. They call him dork in this. David Glasser, he is much more well-known behind the scenes nowadays. He is the executive producer of such shows, including Yellowstone, 1883, The Mayor of Kingstown. Oh, Mayor of... Hold on. Waco. Yeah, David Waco. C. Glasser. Yeah, you've heard the name, I'm sure, or seen yeah. the name. Oh, yeah, Mayor so he's of... part of the Yellowstone Cinematic Universe. Then. Yes, uh, Mayor of Kingstown. That's the show on Paramount Plus with uh, Jeremy Renner and uh, Cal Chandler. The guy who gets his newspaper before everybody else does? Yes, and who may or may not be coaching a high school football team in Dillon, Texas. Someone should be talking about that. Hmm. Ha ha ha. Mm -hmm. See, Mike saw what we did there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Episode five. Between a rock and Rooney's place, Sloan wants to throw a small and peaceful surprise party for Cameron's birthday. Ferris has other plans, and they include lots of people, a rapper, and Principal Rooney's house. Because, of course they do. Do you know who the rapper they get is? Oh, this is a name from 1990, if there ever this, was this one. This name is about as 1990 as it gets. Tone Loke. Hold on a second, guys. Hold on a second, because I got something to say. Now, as you know, we did 299 and 300. We recorded them on a Saturday. I was not available on Friday. Because I was at the Mets-Phillies game at Citizens Bank Park. But after the game, now I didn't stay after the I stayed for maybe about 15 minutes after the game. Then me, my brother, my sister-in-law, we all left. They had a post-game concert. It was a 90s-themed post-game concert. Tone Loke was one of the performers at the post-game concert. Didn't hear him, unfortunately. But here's who else was on at the post-game concert. Rob Bass, Vanilla Ice, and DJing it. When you think of Philadelphia and DJ, who do you think of? Jazzy Jeff. Yes. <laughs> That's great. That was so great. One to just though. Oh, and Tone Loke isn't even the only major name in this episode. Playing Stacy in this episode is Linda Larkin. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, she was the voice of Princess Jasmine and like anything Aladdin, including Aladdin the original movie and Aladdin two, and like every video game involving Aladdin, every cartoon involving Aladdin, uh, involving Princess Jasmine. That is yeah. everything. She is the voice of Princess Jasmine. And I you don't assume- look like Naomi Scott to me. I assume she reprised the role in voiceover-wise in Wreck-It Ralph 2. She did. Yes, she did. Ralph Breaks the Internet? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Also played Joanne in the straight-to-video sequel to Zapped, Zapped Again. (laughs) There was a straight-to-video sequel There was a... Oh, God, hold on. Who was in... You didn't see Zapped Again? I've never it, heard of it till now. I've seen it. It was a straight to video sequel to Zapped. 
Who is in Zapped again? Who oh, plays the Scott I'm Baker? I'm glad you asked that question. We have Todd, Eric Andrews, and Kelly Williams as the two leads. Among the names in the movie are Linda Larkin, Sue Ann Langdon, Linda Blair, Ann oh. Black, Heather Jane McDonald, Lucy Boyer before Doogie Howser came calling, and as Coach Kirby, Lyle Alzado. Oh, that's terrific! Jeez, oh, <laughs> Lyle Alzado as the coach. Oh my gosh! This is one of the first movies I watched with my dad when he got his uh sort of rental membership to whatever passes for Blockbuster Video in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. Can I just say something? Why did your dad in his right mind thought, you know what, little Chico, we're going to watch a movie together. Ah, zapped again. That's fine. You don't know my father very well, do you? He's a dumb <laughs> He'll figure this out. Hey, my father's U.S. Army. He's twisted to the core. By the way, we do support our troops here, and it was a thing on TV. Well, of course. See, the gang wrestles for the troops. Even the troops that decide to get their children zapped again? Oh my gosh. No, not get. Rent. Rent. Whatever. Whatever. You could have picked any cartoon or any uh, comedy, and you picked zapped again. He could have picked hot to trot. That's an improvement, though. Yeah. I did. uh, You know what? I did get one pick, and you know what I picked? The wizard. Okay, okay, that's that's, that's a, that's a fair choice. Okay, although, good. Although, let's be honest, I would have picked Hot to Trot. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> your problem. <laughs> it's got Bobcat Goldblade and John Candy as a talking horse. <laughs> and Dabney Coleman with crooked teeth. Yeah, I was going to say, how can you forget Dabney Coleman? All right. Episode six. A dog and his boy. Ferris is still trying to win Sloane's love, so when she asks him to watch the school mascot, he agrees. Principal Rudy sees the dog with Ferris and decides to get rid of it and calls the dog catcher. You bastard. Uh, David Glasser does make a return appearance as the dork. And, oh, we didn't mention uh, another sort of recurring character, which was... I believe his name was Mr. Ricketts. Did he go on to own the Chicago Cubs? No. Good. He was, a, he was the history teacher, Mr. Ricketts. I guess he was supposed to be the Ben Stein character. But uh, he's played by Jerry Tellis, who was a that guy from that thing. He played the DMV clerk in License to Drive. Oh, yes! License to Drive! And, and... He was Scuff Mulligan on an episode of previous entry, Lady Blue. Sadly, no longer with us. I'm doing the whole the big gun thing from Lady Blue. Yeah. You can't see it, but just picture that scene of her with the gun. Yeah. It's Jamie Rose and her Jamie really Rose. big gun. A really big gun. You all knew what it was supposed to be. Yeah. That's a penis. Now, I am laughing because of that last clip, but I'm also laughing because I just read the title of episode seven. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Before you say the episode title, I think we need to set up a hypothetical situation. 
Greg? Yeah. If you had a fight between Parker Lewis and Ferris Bueller, who would win? Well, obviously it's going to be Parker Lewis. He can't lose. But as we know from the title of this episode, it explains why. Because the title of the episode is what? Ferris Bueller can't win. (laughs) Does this look like anything? Should we just say it now? About might as Parker well. Lewis. You yeah, might as well. Because this was the same year Parker Lewis came on. In fact, I think NBC saw that Parker Lewis was premiering in September, and they had their own Ferris Bueller. They wanted to get a jump on him, so instead of premiering in September with Parker Lewis at that same time, mind you, which we will talk about later, they premiered it in August. August twenty third of nineteen ninety. So they could say, hey, look, Ferris Bueller is the original. Parker Lewis is the ripoff. You want the original or the ripoff? To which Ferris Bueller, in his IDGAF sort of attitude, said, you know what? We'll freely admit it. Yeah, we ripped off Ferris Bueller, but we perfected the formula. We and added you know- Troy Slayton to the mix. And you know what? <laughs> Let's be honest. They did it much better. They totally did it much better. Who remembers this show and who remembers Parker Lewis? Yes, Ferris Bueller created the formula, but Parker Lewis perfected it. Okay, the description of episode seven. Ferris Bueller can't win. The San Diego Chicken makes an appearance at Ocean Bay High School, which kicks off a run of bad luck for Ferris. He gets in a fight with Sloan and Cameron accidentally destroys his homework. To top it all off, an earthquake hits while he's riding an elevator with his archenemy principal, Rudy, trapping them both. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. Yep, of, of course, we have an appearance by uh, Ted Janoulis as the famous chicken. That's right, they and couldn't this... call him the San Diego chicken, just the famous chicken. But you know what? A chicken by any other name, am I right? Yeah. Well, remember, the San Diego chicken is like a trademark name. That's why he's just the chicken or the famous chicken. Yeah. But also, we got to talk about Ted Giannoulis, the San Diego chicken, and Johnny Bench at some time, because the San Diego chicken was in one of my favorite shows of the early 80s, The Baseball Bunch. Yes, he was. Yep. Someone has to reboot that. MLB Network's got the tapes. I mean, that was an MLB production. Yeah. They have it. They have it. They have the tapes. They have to do something with that. They've they've shown old This Week in Baseball. What is stopping them on Saturday mornings showing 40-plus-year-old reruns of the baseball bunch with Johnny Bench? Oh, yeah, no doubt. And we have another recurring character here playing Arthur Petrelli is Jeff Maynard who you would recognize him as the boy from the books, or the boy with books from UHF. Oh, in the Conan the Librarian sketch? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you not know the Dewey Decimal System? Fun fact about one of the people in this episode, playing the role of Marjorie Ganesha is Karen Kondasian, who got her start at the age of eight on Art Lickletter's house party, as one of the kids in the Kids Say the Darndest Things 
uh, sort of segment. Oh, neat! I told you to go to bed, kid. Episode 8. Sloan again. Naturally. Ferris and Jeannie set their differences aside and worked together to ruin a date between Sloan and the new exchange student from Italy. Ooh. Ferris wants Sloan back, and Jeannie wants the exchange student for herself. Whoa! 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 Okay, uh, Marco Rupo, who is not known for much, he plays the exchange student Giancarlo. But, perhaps... The more known name in this episode, playing Mrs. Bellman, Ellen Bree. That's right, from Seen Elsewhere. And, and two weeks of Mesh Game Hollywood Squares, I were just saying. Yeah, but hold on. N- not the only big name. She's not the, not the only no. one. No, playing himself. And this is unbelievable. Playing himself, famed college basketball coach. Digger Phelps. That's deep. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, he's known for being more of a college basketball analyst. For ESPN, yeah. Would he have still been coaching at Notre Dame in 1990? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had, uh, I think LaFonso Ellis was at Notre Dame around that time. I think he was drafted in 91, so I'm very sure uh, Digger Phelps was there. And also, for those that don't know, Digger Phelps had one of the most notable games in the history of college basketball when Notre Dame ended in the 70s, UCLA's 88-game winning streak. I believe that was the first ever loss in Bill Walton's collegiate career. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And and also, I think there was another decent basketball player where it was his first loss as well. It might have been like Jamal Wilkes or somebody like that. Yeah, because I believe Jamal Wilkes went to UCLA also. Oh, I'm like 99.9% sure he did, yes. Episode 9. Scenes from a Grandma. Ferris's nosy know-it-all grandmother wants to turn her two-week visit into a permanent stay and gets a job as a counselor at his school. And playing the grandma. Oh, this is so great. Chorus Leachman. Yeah, because Facts of Life would have ended by now and she needed something to do. Yeah, pretty much. Wait, hold on a second. Wasn't Chorus Leachman in the nut house? Yeah. Yeah, so she needed something to do after the nut house came and went. Episode 10 Stand in, deliver. The father Get- of Cameron. Get it? That's the joke. The father of Cameron's new girlfriend, Anne, forbids Cameron to see her, so Ferris poses as her boyfriend to get past her father. Complications arise when Cameron's girlfriend falls for Ferris. We got two names here. Uh, Playing uh, said girlfriend, Anne Payson, Carla Gugino, known nowadays for being the mother in Spy Kids franchise. But... Playing her father, Police Academy legend, Pyramid legend, David Graff. Yes! Officer Tackleberry himself. Surprised he didn't do the you will blank now, Mr. Line in this show. It just seems like something he'd do. 
Episode 11. Baby, you can't drive my car. Ferris gets the car of his dreams for his birthday, a 1962 Chevy Corvette. His dreams turn into nightmares when he and Cameron become concerned that the car is haunted. Great, your car is Christine. I get it. Ferris returns to talk to the car salesman, Mr. McFarland, and discovers that Mr. McFarland had been dead for over 20 years. Playing the role of Mr. McFarland, legend. Absolute legend. Dick Martin. Oh, yes. Oh, hey, guys. We're going to be talking about Dick Martin next month. Next month, yep. It's going to be an entry we've been waiting to talk about for years. Well, now, is it necessarily for years or because a certain show uh, aired on a certain broadcast network uh, about a year ago? Both. I think that just sort of, yeah, I'll say that I think that sort of spurred our interest in covering this show. But yeah, we'll be talking about him uh, in under a month. Yeah, market counters, folks. Another name on this episode played Greg Connect, Danny Nucci, known nowadays as Detective Rick Romero on 911, but you all remember his breakout role as Fabrizio in 1997's feel good blockbuster, Titanic. Oh, wait. Was he, like, Leo's friend in Titanic? He was Leo's friend in Titanic. Oh, he can see the Statue of Liberty already, but oh. Uh, he, he makes a bad end in Titanic. Oh. That's a terrible scene. It was a terrible, sad scene. Oh. Oh, hold on. Speaking of Titanic, this will not be the last time we'll be talking about Titanic on this podcast. Because we'll be talking about somebody from Titanic Around this time of the Titanic sinking in April. Because let's just say he had three wives. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, why don't you just give it away, Greg? Okay. Why don't you just give it away, Greg? Also in this episode playing Mr. Fusco is a person named Jack Keller. The only reason I mention it is because Last episode's big revelation about Greg. Yeah. The the game changer for the podcast. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was a game changer. It yeah. was. And now that we know Greg's a little secret, I, I don't think he needs to say this. But yes, Jack Keller was on a 1995 episode of Wings. Yes, he was. Yep. And, and as we found out last show. Yes, you did. Wings is your favorite show. Yeah, it was the yes. first time I ever said it. Wings. Yeah, first time. I love Wings. That, that's totally why uh, That's why I mentioned it, yeah. You know, we talked about how episode 300 was the first time I ever said I love Wings. I guarantee you, a hundred years from now, if man's still alive, they'll be looking back at that episode being like, that was a game changer in the history of the podcast. That was the first time Greg Everett mentioned he loved Wings. Should I say hi to the Futurelings? Hi, Futurelings. Hey, Futurelings, yeah. <laughs> Episode 12, Grace Under Pressure. 
Principal Rooney cancels beach day when he hears that Superintendent Weldon has planned an inspection. Ferris has been looking forward to the event and decides to secretly go ahead with the plans. Playing the role of Superintendent Weldon, Patrick Cronin, who unfortunately is not related to former Game Show Network President Rich Cronin or REO Speedwagon's Kevin Cronin, or the lead singer to LFO, the other Rich Cronin. Well, you know, Chico, New Kids on the Block had a lot of hits, but Chinese food, it makes me sick. Do you like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch? No, I much prefer, like, The Gap. Take them if they had one wish? Yeah. Okay, but you would probably remember Miss Michelson in Splash, or Dr. Rimlin in Rocky V. And we've talked about him at some point. I recognize his picture and his name. Looking at his credits, pick any of these episodes, any of these shows that we've covered. We talked about him on at least one of these. Carter Country. Sanford. Talked about him. Oh, that's where we talked about him. Okay. I Married Dora. Talked about him. Um, Yeah, I Married Dora. We talked about him. So we talked about him three times. Also, uh, he played Sid Farkas on two episodes of Seinfeld, since we love our Seinfeld around here. Oh, yeah. What episodes of Seinfeld? The Doorman and the Sniffing Accountant. Okay. Oh, by the way, when I was at the Brooklyn Cyclones game against Hudson Valley like a week and a half to two weeks ago, I got the Jackie Childs pin. Yes. So now I've bought something that was done on uh, one of our versions of Price is Right, and you've got an item that was one of our items on uh, one of the versions of Price is Right. Yeah. I mean, mine was eBay and yours was was non-eBay. Yes. Non-eBay, non-Amazon. Okay, Chico, time to cough up some money and get you an item. Fine. Find something. I'll buy you the Manimal Slides. (laughs) Pay $85.50 for them. He's not even the biggest name in this episode. Oh, no. This is the MC, uh, I assume, of this Beach Day uh, event. Yes. The MC of the Beach Day events. Legendary. How many times have we talked about him? Plenty. Oh, way Plenty. too many. Yeah. But let's just say that this rip guy. Rip the band-aid off. Just rip it off. This guy. Just do it. Just do it, Greg. He ran a great takeout business. Takeout business. Yeah, he had a great takeout business. Takeout business. <laughs> that never gets old. The legendary Buddy Hackett. Like I said, never gets old. Yeah. Oh, hold on. I don't think we ever mentioned Buddy Hackett was on the show Action with Jay Moore. And to tie this back in, we'll be talking about Jay Moore. Sometime in October. And after this episode, NBC decided... We're good. You know what? 12 episodes is fine. We obviously can't win against Parker Lewis, who can't lose, so... They decided to cancel it. Yeah, we'll burn the last episode in the summer. So they did. Almost a year after it first premiered. And here it is, A Night in the Life, 
Ferris and Cameron survive an eventful night while trying to churn out an important class paper. Not really many names in this episode, is there? Oh, hold on. Playing the role of Steve is Alan Covert, and you would know Alan Covert because he's uh, been in a lot of uh, Adam Sandler's movies. He's in Waterboy, I believe. Yeah, Wedding Singer. Mm-hmm. He was uh, Happy Gilmore's caddy in Happy Gilmore, Otto. You remember Otto? I do remember Otto. Oh, wait. Chico. He was Kenny in the movie Heavyweights. What? I remember Heavyweights. Cannon Thompson was in that movie. Yeah. Also, somebody I went to governor's school with was in that movie as well. So. Why do you think I mentioned Heavyweights? Because I never get tired of mentioning that fact. Yeah. I believe that's on Disney Plus, right? Yes. Good. One more name in this episode playing Raul is Valente Rodriguez. We didn't talk about him that long ago because he played Manny on Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me. Yep. Oh, God. I'm sorry. As much as we don't want to acknowledge that show. Oh, by the way, that was worse than Manimal 2. I forgot about that. So Dad, stop we're, we're probably at about... I'm at about 25 shows that I think are officially worse than Manimal, Greg. So we're, and we're only, getting close to about 10%. And we only one of us saw it. That's the crazy yeah, but part. We, we, but, but we recapped it. We recapped it. It was painful just <laughs> recapping it. It really was. It was, ba- it was bad, yes. So there you go. That's the show. And not many people remember it, but it hasn't been released on any sort of video platform officially however all 13 episodes are available on youtube unofficially and you can collect the dvds if you know a guy wink wink you get what i'm trying to say here yes we get what you're trying yeah, to say yeah we know we know so what happens uh, other than duh I-, I think duh sums it up nicely yeah, I mean, people were expecting Ferris Bueller's day off the series, but they weren't exactly asking for it. They weren't exactly clamoring for it. It's like that meme, nobody, not a damn body, not a living soul. Ferris Bueller series! And when you have something like Parker Lewis on opposite Ferris Bueller, you know where this is going. So okay. we even look at the schedule? Yeah, let's look at the schedule. All well, right. the pilot aired opposite a rerun of Married with Children and did rather well for itself. I assume this was coming off NFL preseason football since this was August. Well, it was actually coming off a repeat of... Mr. Black. Because it aired on a Thursday. Oh, the Cosby Show. Okay. Uh- I thought this was a Sunday. Okay. Makes sense because they want it opposite their um, highest rated show, even if it's a rerun. And obviously it's going to get a high rating because it's between that and Cheers. Yeah. It aired as a preview. Well, it it did move to Mondays, as we said. It aired after the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on NBC. And the competition was a little tougher uh, on ABC, you had MacGyver, 
And this would have been near the end of MacGyver's run, correct? This would have been the next to last season because the last season was 91-92. Yeah, so this would have been a new episode. This would be, yeah, this would be the penultimate season for MacGyver. And on CBS at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, you had Major Dad. Mm -hmm. It ran like three, four seasons. It wasn't a bad show, but going up against MacGyver and Major Dad, yeah. Yeah, and its lead-out was Fresh Prince, which was doing pretty well for itself, and it managed to hold on to some of its lead-in, but it could not hold a candle to Major Dad, and even running, you know, in a virtual tie with MacGyver was not enough. And it it just seemed to hover into the 11-12 range, which in 1990 would have been... Good, not great, but good. And it kept being mired in third place against Major Dad and MacGyver. But given time, ratings cratered. Being preempted for a one-hour Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that did not help. And of course, the negative reviews of Ferris Bueller did not help either. I have a review in my hand here from the legendary Tom Shales at the Washington Post saying, Charlie Schlatter, the unlikable actor inheriting the role for television, tackles inevitable comparisons head-on, which we did. He says, come on, Matthew Broderick, is me? No way, he's too white-bred. Then he takes a chainsaw and hacks off the head of a Matthew Broderick cardboard cutout. This is television. This is real. Okay, oh, then this is the real Ferris Bueller? Fine. Now, will the real Ferris Bueller please shut up? I love how Charlie Slattery says this is television in the same way someone on Twitter would say about something from the movie, say, this is cinema. Yep, he ends the review by saying, to the kids in the audience, once the first episode's paltry adventures are over, Ferris offers advice. If mom and dad give you a hard time, it's only because... They've been there. Where? There. Ferris Bueller is the proverbial lead balloon. Suffice it to say, he wasn't a fan. And nor should he be. Ferris Bueller's day off was cinematic gold. It was an attempt to tell a story by many angles. It was hardly breakthrough in its attempt to do so, but it was endearing to its audience, which it knows absolutely too well. By waiting four years after the movie to deliver the TV series, and then wildly going crazy with the pr- with the franchise, what are you doing? What was John Majus doing? I, I, I don't know what he was doing. Uh, so, thoughts, guys, before we wrap this up? Some things are just best left untouched. Yeah. Really, that's all we need to say. Was America clamoring for a TV version of Ferris Bueller that was very, very non-canonical, to say the least? I'm sorry. Ferris Bueller is Chicago. It's never, never Los Angeles. 
Never even, in a million years. No. And even if it was, it was done better on Fox. Yep. Well, as we know, Parker Lewis can't lose. No. Nope. Parker Lewis can't lose. He couldn't lose Sunday. Ferris Bueller all but lost Mondays. Ferris Bueller's day off was cinema classic. Ferris Bueller, the TV show in 1990. It was just a thing on TV. But hold on, guys. Because didn't they just announce that there's going to be a sequel movie to Ferris Bueller's Day Off on Paramount Plus? What? I got it right here. E! News confirms that Paramount Pictures is developing a sequel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But don't expect Ferris, Matthew Broderick, or Alan Rux Cameron. It's called Sam and Victor's Day Off, centering on the valets, originally played by Richard Edson and Larry Flash Jenkins, who took Cameron's dad's Ferrari for a joyride through the streets of Chicago. So now we're finally going to get the unanswered question. What did they do to the Ferrari? And how many miles did they put on that Ferrari? Yep, and the minds behind this sort of sequel, uh, a trio that knows a thing or two about sequels slash reboots, John Hurwitz, Hayden Schlossberg, and Josh Held, the uh, creators of Cobra Kai for Netflix. Oh, okay. So, okay, they did Cobra Kai, and Cobra Kai is fantastic. It is. So... Okay, we'll trust them with this. You should hope so. So, if anybody could possibly do justice to the original story, it would be these three. John Macius at NBC in 1990? Not so much. Nope! But... You can relive all of the original shows that we've done on this podcast, all 300 of them, at ItWasATHingOnTV.com. Of course, we also have live shows, live watches, mini-sodes, our It Was A Thing On TV Presents series, and links to all of our socials at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, who apparently took a day off and gave us it was a thing on tv podcast and of course don't forget we are on the youtube do not forget to like subscribe hit the notification bell bueller 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 thanks ben tell jimmy we said hi If, uh, yeah, hit the bell if you want to stay up to date on all of our entries as we begin the fourth century of It Was a Thing. And uh, Back to School Week is continuing with another short-lived high school-related TV show, and one that is apparently near and dear to Mike's heart. No, I didn't really say that. I said at the end of episode 300 that... When I was doing my education coursework about two decades ago, we did see at least a partial episode of this in one of my classes, like foundations of teaching, so some low-level education class. But by no means would I say it's, it's near and dear to my heart. 
I haven't seen it in 20 years and I don't even remember what I saw from 20 years ago. Okay. It was just a show that was on in the background while Mike was getting his teaching degree. Yeah, close enough. And we'll talk about it as we continue our journey back to school all this week right here on It Was A Thing On TV. Thanks for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.